Amen. How many of you brought your Bible with you tonight? Will you hold up the Bible all over the building? And I want you to join me, if you will, in the book of Galatians tonight, chapter number 5. Galatians chapter 5. I'd like to read a couple of verses, the verses I've been reading over the last several Wednesday, uh, not Wednesday, but Sunday nights. And uh, then just give you a thought from the Bible and we'll, uh, we'll be done here in just a moment. Uh, Galatians chapter 5. Don't forget the service on Wednesday night. Hope you'll be here. And uh, we'll look forward to having a good time together in the house of God. And I trust the Lord will bless our gathering together. I hope you have a good week as well till we meet back together again. And uh, I hope God will just help us and uh, wrap us in the bubble wrap of His grace. Amen. And uh, thank God for that. Well, let's read tonight Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. And uh, let's, let me read this. It says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and then peace. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and now peace. Let's pray. Father, bless your word tonight. I pray, teach us something from the Bible. Encourage our hearts. Lord, if there's anybody in this room tonight that's filled with fear, filled with anxiety, uh, Lord, filled with great apprehension, worry, fretfulness over all that's transpiring in our world today, God, may they leave this building bearing the fruit of peace in their life, in their heart. That peace is ours because of our relationship with you. And I pray you'd bless the Bible tonight. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, for the last several weeks in our Sunday evening services, I've been engaged in a series of messages that I've entitled Fruitful Living, And the emphasis is on the word full. You know, as the people of God, our lives should be full of fruit. Now, not corrupt fruit, not, not bad fruit or rotten fruit, but good fruit. Fruit that bears evidence that uh, we are the people of God, as well as fruit that brings glory to the God that you and I say that we love. Because in all actuality, our fruit tells our story. I know our lips may say one thing. We may stand up and, or we may tell people that this is who we are. But you know, your fruit in reality tells your story. It really does. And if your fruit don't back up your story, then your story is just not true. We read the very somber words of the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter number 7 when he said this right here, you shall know them, you shall know them by their fruit. I just want to say again that our fruit tells our story. Fruit is an indication of the character of the tree. Apple trees produce apples apples. Peach trees produce peaches. Pear trees produce pears. And ladies and gentlemen, uh, if you're saved by the grace of God, a good tree will bring forth good fruit. And a bad tree will always produce corrupt fruit. I guess maybe I need to stop the sermon tonight and just ask us, what kind of a fruit do we have hanging off the limbs of our lives? I know what your lips say. You know what my lips say. But watch my life. Watch the fruit hanging off the limbs, and if the fruit don't match the talk, then there's something wrong with the character of the tree that I am. 
Amen. But it's about time that our talk started matching our walk and our walk started matching our talk. Well, we're thinking in these days along the lines of the type of the fruit of the Holy Spirit that he desires to produce in our lives. Now, let me stop again to just say I get it tonight. You know, when you talk about the fruit of the Spirit, people have a tendency to yawn over that. You know, if I were to stand up here tonight and say, I'm going to preach about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, you know, people get enamored by all that. They get excited about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And, and people talk about speaking in tongues. And, and they talk about healing. And they, and they talk about prophesying. And they talk about all those things. I personally believe, based upon the Word of God, some of those, some of those gifts, those sign gifts, have now ceased with the completion of our Bible. But people get excited when you talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But buddy, when you talk about the fruit of the Holy Spirit, there's a tendency of people just to kind of yawn, tune you out, sit back and ride the service out. But can I just stop and say tonight that the fruit of the Holy Spirit is just as real as the gifts of the Holy Spirit tonight. You see, when we get saved, the Holy Spirit takes up his abode in our lives. And he then goes to work on us. He goes, he starts, uh, uh, he starts uh, uh, taking some things out of our lives. And he starts adding some things to our lives because he has but one purpose in mind. And that one purpose is to cause you and to cause me to be more like Jesus. I've said this before. God has only one begotten son. But God wants all the rest of his children to resemble that one and only begotten son that he has. So the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is the evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives. Can I have an amen? Now, we're not saved so we can continue to live in verse 19, 20, and 21. Can I say it like this? I was not saved in that mess. I was saved out of that mess. And you were not saved so that you could continue on living in verse 19 and 20 and 21. God didn't save you and place the Holy Spirit on the inside of you so you could be full of that kind of a mess in your life. I know we can slip up. I get all that. I know we have tendencies leaning in the wrong direction. I know that every one of those things mentioned in those three verses could be a part of my life. But listen, let me say this. As I surrender to the Holy Spirit to Tonight, that's not at all what I want my life to be. I don't want to live in the mess of those verses. I don't want to live in the drama of those verses. Thank God I've been saved to become a new creature in Christ. And that's not who I want to be. I want to live in verse 22 and in verse number 23. That's where I want to find myself living. What about you? I'm telling you, I don't want to live in that mess. Let me get to verse 20. Look at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. Now, we've talked about three flavors of this fruit. The word fruit, singular. So it's not nine different fruits of the Holy Spirit. It's one fruit with nine flavors, like a cluster of grapes. And each grape you pull off the cluster and bite into it, there's a, a sweet, fresh, different taste than the fruit that was before. And these are the flavors that God wants to produce in our lives as we surrender to the Holy Spirit. And he starts it all, verse 22, by simply saying, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. Can I just stop and remind us again tonight, everybody in this room, that our lives are to be characterized by love and not by hate. 
Can I have an amen? Jesus said this, John 13, 30, 34, or verse 35, maybe verse 35. He said, Hereby shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. You know, before I got saved on the other side of Calvary, I, my life was full of hate. I really was. I, if I didn't like somebody, it's all right for me to hate them. And you probably don't look down because you probably were the same way. That was your life on the other side of Calvary. Can I say this? On this side of Calvary, now that the Holy Spirit lives in our life, he wants us to have the love of Jesus flowing from our lives. In fact, Jesus said this in John chapter 15 in verse number 9, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. And then here's what he said, Continue ye in, and then he calls it this, my love. Can I just stop and say tonight, Jesus was full of love while he was here upon this earth. You know, he just didn't love those who loved him. He loved those who didn't love him. He was full of love, no matter who it was. If it was Nathaniel under the tree or Zacchaeus up the tree. It didn't matter if it was a Pharisee who came by night or a wicked woman at the well in the middle of the day. It didn't matter if it was a dead little girl or a demon-possessed little boy. Jesus always loved people and his love had a way of drying the tears and his love had a way of calming the fears. I just want to tell you tonight, God wants you and me to love each other tonight. Amen. What would this fellowship be if we could just love one another? I get it. Maybe you're upset tonight. Maybe somebody's hurt you. I get all that. That happens. You know, sad but true, it even happens in church. But wouldn't it be wonderful if we just surrendered to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit began to produce a love in our heart for each other? And buddy, it was a love that people could just sense when they walked into this place and they would just know, hey, one thing about that church, man, they make me nervous. I'd preach shouts and spits and hollers and fusses and just takes on. They sing to the high heavens. But I know one thing about that crowd. They evidently love each other. They act like they love. I tell you, the, the Holy Spirit wants to produce the kind of love that Jesus called my love on the inside of every one of us. Can I have an amen? Then he moves to joy. Jesus said this about joy in John chapter 15 and verse 11. Again, he called it my love. And then in this verse right here, he said, these things have written unto you that my joy. So he said, hey, I, my love, I want my love to be in you. Now he says this, I want my joy to be in you. Not misery. God don't want you to walk around in some kind of a miserable condition. Jesus didn't die and leave heaven, come to this earth, leave it all like they just sang about a moment ago to die on the cross so that you and I could live in misery. He came into this world so that we could have joy. My joy, Jesus said, and just have joy in the Christian life. I get it. There are problems. You got problems. I got problems. We all have problems. Jesus was a man who was uh, full of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and yet the Bible said he was anointed with the oil of gladness. Even when he went to Calvary, the Bible said, knowing all that was about to befall him at Calvary, Calvary, the Bible said, who for the joy that was set before him, Hebrews 12, 2, he endured the cross, despised the shame, and then sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He was even full of joy when he was looking at Calvary, right down the gun barrel of Calvary. And Jesus said, okay, I want you now to have my joy in you. What would our church be like if we had his love and his joy? Can you just, what would your home be like? 
if everybody loved one another in your home? Wouldn't it be, isn't it amazing we have to tell our children, just remind them every once in a while, y'all supposed to love each other. Is that not amazing? And think about what, what would your home be like? Man, if it was just love, everybody in that was full of the love of God. What would your home be like if everybody in there was full of the joy of Jesus? I know what you're thinking. I'd be living in somebody else's house. I get all that. But the truth of the matter is that's what God wants for our home life. That's what God wants for our church life tonight. My love, my joy. And now tonight we come to verse 22 and we come to the next flavor that the Holy Spirit longs to produce in our life, and that's peace. That is peace. You know, I find it amazing that one of the names that was given to the Lord Jesus, and he has many names, but one of the more prominent names that was given to the Lord Jesus was this one, the Prince of Peace. Man, did he live up to that name. I mean, buddy, it didn't matter what kind of a situation that he was facing. He always seemed to have it together. There was never any panic in his voice. There was never any excitement. It always seemed like in the midst of everything that was going on, he was always controlled by an inward peace. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is Mark chapter number 4. And in that chapter, right at the end, about verse number 35, Jesus has just told his disciples to get into the boat. They're going to the other side. It had been a very hectic day in the life of the Lord. He'd been casting out devils, feeding sick people, heal, uh, feeding hungry people, healing sick people, raising dead people. He'd been into it with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And as the sun began to set in the western sky, Jesus said, boys, let's get in the boat. We're going to the other side. There was a trip on the ship. And they all gathered in the boat and they set sail on the placid sea of Galilee. But it wasn't long till they got out there in the middle of that, in the middle of that, sea, that, that sea. And the Bible said the trip on the ship turned into a travail in the gale. And I mean the wind started blowing and the waves started raging and the rain was beaten and blowing. I'm telling you, it was a terrible time. It was a hurricane of Category 5 status. I mean, the waves were coming over the bows of that boat. It looked like the boat. Those disciples, those fishermen that had been on that boat time and time again faced every storm in the book. They were upset, bailing water, hoisting sails, trying to keep the ship afloat. I'm here to tell you, the trip on the ship had turned into a travail in the gale. Many times the trip on our little boat Many times the trip on the ship of our life turns into a travail in the gale. But I got good news for you. If your trip on a ship has turned into a travail in the gale, thank God there's a friend in the wind. And his name is Jesus Christ. I find it interesting that the Bible said that boat was tossed with the waves and the sea and those disciples were in a state of panic. They were doing everything they could to keep the boat afloat. And yet Jesus, the Bible said, when he got on the boat that night, as the sun was setting in a very placid, peaceful, calm setting, the Bible said he carried a pillow with him on the ship. And the Bible said that when that terrible storm came up and those disciples were in a state of panic and in a state of fear, he was in the hinder part of the ship asleep. Asleep. Here's what I'd have been doing. Blah, uh, uh, call, call Elijah. Call 911. 
I'd have been sick, throwing up everything. I'd been hanging over the boat. I'd, I'd been good as dead. But Jesus was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillar. There is no panic in heaven, only plans and only peace. I'm telling you, Jesus was peace personified. Can I blow your mind further by simply telling you this? Just hours away from Calvary. I mean, just, I mean, they have left the upper room. They just had the Last Supper, left the upper room, walked down into the Kidron Valley, stepped over the brook Kidron. They said it turned a bloody red at the Passover time because the priests were up on top of the mountain, the temple. They were killing the lambs and the blood was trickling down till it turned that little Kidron brook. He turned it into a blood red. Jesus stepped over that brook on his way into the Garden of Gethsemane, understanding that that blood that was running down that street down that little brook was about to be shed once and for all for the sins of humanity. And what do you think that he had on his mind? If it would have been me, I'd have been thinking about that beating I was about to take, that scourging, that belittling, that ridiculing, that mockery. I'd been thinking about the pain I was getting ready to endure. But friend, let me tell you, just hours away from Calvary, Jesus wasn't talking about pain. He wasn't talking about agony. He wasn't talking about the beating. He wasn't talking about the Scourging, he was talking about peace. That's right. Can I show you this verse? John 16, 33, just hours from Calvary. These things have I spoken unto you that in me. I'm talking about the shadow of Calvary had already fallen on his brow. He's about to be crucified. He said, I just want to tell y'all something. I've been telling y'all these things, and I just want your hearts to be filled with peace. He goes on to say in the world you shall have tribulation but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I mean listen to me ladies and gentlemen I'm talking about in the worst situation of his life down on the inside, there was a peace that could not be ruffled. There was a peace that could not be disturbed. There was a peace that could not be destroyed because Jesus was peace personified. And guess what? In his last will and testament, just before he went to Calvary and died, he had you and me on his mind. I'm telling you right before he went to Calvary, he bequeathed us. How you like me using that word? He bequeathed to us his peace. Look at this verse. John 14, 27. Peace. Here he is again, getting ready to head to Calvary. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Peace. You know, usually when I conduct a funeral, and, uh, and many of you come to those funerals, but normally I always start off basically in the same manner. I say when Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, he left behind several things. He left his clothes to those who gambled at the foot of the cross. He left his mother to his beloved apostle John. He left his body to Joseph of Arimathea. He left his spirit to God the Father. But to you and I, he left something of far greater value. He left us his peace. And God wants you and me to live in his peace. Look at that verse again. 
Peace I leave with you. Now, wait a minute. He said, my love, my joy. And now what does he say? My peace. In other words, the same kind of love that Jesus had, the Holy Spirit can produce that in our life. The same kind of joy that Jesus had, the Holy Spirit wants to produce that. And now we find and come to understand that the same kind of peace that Jesus had is the same kind of peace the Holy Spirit will produce in your life and in my life tonight. It's not God's will for us to be afraid. It is not God's will for us to be filled with anxiety. There, I'm telling you, if you're sitting here tonight and your hearts are filled with fear and anxiety and you're upset and troubled and fretful, can I tell you something? That didn't come from God. That came from the devil. Fear is a product of sin, and sin is a product of the devil. Fear does three things to us. Number one, fear paralyzes us. How many times have you heard somebody say, well, I would do that, but I'm afraid I might fail? You know what that fear's just done? It paralyzed them. It kept them from doing something. There's some men in here, probably God's called you to preach, but you're afraid that you might fail, and so you're never going to try. Can I tell you something tonight? Fear will paralyze you. Fear will monopolize you. It'll control your thoughts. It'll bring you down. It demoralizes us. It defeats us. One of the reasons the children of Israel didn't cross over at Kadesh Barnier and take possession of the promised land. God said, you can have it. I'm going before you. I know you're grasshoppers and they're giants, but I'm God and I can take care of grasshoppers. But they wouldn't go. Why? Because they were afraid. It is not God's plan for you and me to have fear. God wants us to have peace. I have three things to say and let's go. First of all, look on the screens. Number one, peace is a matter of fruit. Peace is a matter of fruit. Can I tell you that in our Bibles, there are three types of peace that are mentioned in the Bible. First of all, there is an eternal peace. An eternal peace, Romans 5.1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad tonight? Hey, can I tell you this? The only way, you know, you ever been by a tombstone? You don't see these much anymore. But uh, they used to put on tombstones are. I-P, rest in peace. But I can, tell you, can I tell you something? You can't rest in peace till you make peace with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And then and then only can you rest in peace. Ladies and gentlemen, there is an eternal peace. Before we got saved, we were at war against God. Fight, can you imagine that? Fighting against God. We were antagonistic toward God. I don't know about you, but I used to sit in church and the Holy Spirit would deal with me and convict me. Man, I knew I was under conviction and I'd sit back there and fight against what God was trying to do. In my, how crazy was that? To fight against what the God of heaven was wanting to do in my life. I didn't realize what wonderful things he had for me down the road. And there I was like an idiot fighting against that. Hanging on to the few. Wouldn't turn loose. Didn't want to be saved. Thought I had my life planned out. Wanted to drive a truck. I mean, man, I had, I had my life in the direction I wanted it to go. Didn't even realize God had a much better plan for my life than I could ever have. I was warring against God. And by the way, you were too. Warring at war. But then aren't you glad for the day when you come to Jesus, God declared peace in your heart. Hey, the war was over. The victory was won. And we have peace through our Lord Jesus. There's an eternal peace. Number two, there's an external peace. God wants you to be at peace 
not you. God wants us to be at peace with each other. Can I say that one more time? God wants you and me that have experienced his eternal peace to experience his external peace and to be at peace with one another. You say, preacher, where is that at in the Bible? I'm glad you asked. Look at this verse right here, Romans 12, 18. I see Romans 12, and I think it's verse 18. Did I put Romans 12, 1? Probably did. Romans 12, 18 says, As much as life within you, if at all possible, live at peace with all men. Listen, listen. If there's somebody in this room tonight you can't speak to, you ought to go to them and make peace with them tonight. God wants us to have eternal peace, but God wants us to have external peace. We're to live peaceably with all men. And you know that old neighbor, that cantankerous neighbor that lives up the street from you that's always throwing his Mountain Dew cans out in your driveway? God wants you to have peace with that old neighbor. I'm telling you, when you got eternal peace, God wants us to have an external peace. A, 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 as much as possible, and that life within us be at peace with all men. Boy, I'll tell you what, I like peace better than I like drama. I like peace, friend. There's something about peace I just like. What about you? I don't like it. When me and my wife are into it, and most times it's her fault, I don't like that. I like it when there's peace at home. I don't like being into it with my children. I don't even like being into it with the dogs. I mean, I like peace. What about you? I want to live in peace, if at all possible. If at all possible, I want to do my best to live at peace with everybody. I really do. There's an eternal peace. There's an external peace. But then there's an internal peace. That's the reason we read over in Colossians chapter 3, verse number 15. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. That's that peace that passeth all understanding. I mean, listen, God wants to give us a peace that's unexplainable. God wants you and I to live in such an inward calm and inward assurance that everything is all right, that everything will be all right, an internal peace. God wants you to have the same kind of peace that Jesus had while he was on this earth, and only the Holy Spirit can do that for us. Amen. Do you miss the voices of those old preachers? I don't know about y'all, but I miss the voices of God has allowed us in our church here to have some old preachers in our church. Boy, I'll tell you, there's, there's just something calm, calming to hear the voice of them old preachers. I don't know about you, Brother Zeno, Brother Gross had a way when he spoke, when we had funerals together and stuff like that. He just had a way of just making you feel like you was going to be able to get through it. I think about Brother J.T. Lyons when he stood up here in this pulpit and he'd say, what in the world are you worried for? And he just had a way of just making you just know everything was going to be all right. Oh, Brother William Hutchins, Brother Lloyd's daddy back there, Brother William had a way. Now, he looked like he was mad at you when he was preaching, but he loved you down deep. And he just had a way about him that just made you just know 
everything was going to be all right. I think about Brother Charles Atkins. What a sweet man, Charles Atkins. And he just had a way. I miss them voices of those old men of God because we got somebody in the pulpit right now that's saying, grab your gun, stock up on your viney sausages, get ready, war's coming. God help, dig a bunker, watch out. I don't know how to calm people down because I'm on nerve medication myself. But God wants us to have peace. It's a matter of fruit. Number two, it's a matter of focus. Look at this verse right here. Would you read it with me? Read it with me. Thou will keep him or her in what? Perfect peace. How's he going to do that? Whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. You know what? God wants us to have peace. You can't have peace. I would encourage some of y'all. Y'all need to get off your Hannity kick. Because when I listen to that, it just makes me mad. And I can't sleep. And I love Rush Limbaugh. I think he's a good man. I hope he was a saved man. I'm not sure. Thought about getting a revival, but I was going to have to make him sign a petition that he wouldn't cuss while he's in the pulpit. But can I tell you something? When that, that stuff tears my nerves up. That nightly news with that Lester Roloff, not Lester Roloff, what's that guy's name up there? Lester Holt. I can't watch that stuff. You know what? Maybe reason, maybe some of us don't have that kind of peace is because we're looking in the wrong direction. I sure unto God ain't got peace over this outfit's in the White House up there. I mean, friend, they have no idea. They done created. I'm telling you, in about two months, they've done created another crisis down at the border when we had the whole mess straightened out. Amen. You're welcome. You're welcome. And now we done got this chaos and confusion again. Under God, I'm not going to look to the White House. Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. Because he trusteth in thee. You ever laying in the bed at night and you think you hear the noises in the night and get a little bit scared, you know? I'm big and brave and I always tell my wife, don't worry about it, it ain't nothing. And I'm over there saying, oh God, in Jesus' name, please don't let some murderer just broke out of jail be in our house. Well, can I tell you something? When you think about him, when you get your mind on him, when your trust and your faith and your confidence is in him, you can have peace. Get your mind off what's going on in this world. I'm not saying don't be informed. I mean, don't live with your head like an ostrich in the, in the sand. I'm not saying any of that, but man, we got to get our focus, our attention back on Jesus again. It's a matter of focus. It's a matter of fruit. And last of all, it's a matter of fact. Peace is a matter of fact. Now, here's where most of us are, and I'm done. We read the story about old Simon Peter and we read about him. We read about him before Calvary. And there he stands. And by the way, I really think, well, I've been preaching on Calvary. I really think old Peter had every intention of following Jesus. He followed him to the judgment hall. He really did. Everybody else forsook him and fled. But at least Peter went with him. And he's standing out there, Jesus on the inside. Can't you just see Peter? He's... He's trying to see in there what's going on and standing over there and he's warming his hands a little bit and he's looking around and he's thinking, man, I, oh, 
wonder what they're doing and what they're saying and what they're doing to him. And about that time, this little maid comes up and says, you know something? I've seen you with him before. You're one of them. And Peter was filled with fright. And to save his own skin, I don't know the man. A little bit later, another one comes back. Hey, your speech, it betrayeth thee. You talk just like him. You use some of the same words. No, ma'am, you must be mistaken. I don't know the man. One last time, another maid comes back up. You're one of his. He's scared to death. He's filled with fear. He even starts using oath and cursing. I don't even know the man. I have no idea. You blankety-blank, get out of my blankety-blank face. You get out from, I mean, he's cussing and denying the very one that he said, I'll go with you all the way, even. He's filled with fear. He's filled with fear. But can I tell you something? When we see Peter on the other side of Pentecost, something's happened to that old boy. On the day of Pentecost, he got filled with the Holy Ghost. Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, same people, same person. He got filled with the Holy Ghost. And in Acts chapter 12, they'd already cut James's head off. James is gone. He's dead. And they've done signed his execution warrant. Peter's just as good as dead in the morning. And what's he doing? He's chained up to 16 soldiers. Brother Baker preached about this the other night. He's got 16 soldiers around him. He's, he's going to be killed. Sure as the sun comes up in the morning, and the Bible doesn't say he's pacing back and forth. Oh, oh my goodness. The Bible doesn't say, the Bible does not say that he is, uh, that he's biting his fingernails off. The Bible doesn't say that he's pacing up and down. The Bible doesn't even say that he's praying at this time that his faith won't fail. You know what the Bible says? He's asleep. How can you sleep when they're getting ready to cut your head off in the morning? Only one way. The peace of God that passeth all understanding had told him everything was going to be all right. And God sent his angel down, had to wake him up, had to wake him up and then say, get your shoes on. And then let's go. Had to wake him up. You know what that tells me? That old boy had the peace of God in his heart. He's no longer afraid. He's no longer filled with fear. He's got the peace of God in his heart. I'm done. Come here. If I were to ask you, why is this date important, March the 14th? If you think back, most of you probably wouldn't get the answer right. But let me tell you what happened. One year ago today was our last service before the shutdown. We met in here that night, and then we made the decision we're going to have to shut down. And we didn't have another service until the last week of May. I know we drove in the parking lot, but oh my soul. I hated them parking lot services. It was either freezing to death or we're burning up. And we didn't have another service till the last of May. There was all the reports of all that was going to happen. But I got news this just in from headquarters. God got us through it. God got us through it. And if God got us through that mess... And I know, I get it, I need, we need to be careful, use cootie cream and all that, I get all that. But if God got us through it, don't you think God can get us through these other things that are going on in our life? 
Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind, focus, is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Thank God for peace. Amen. Amen. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. Let's pray. Father, I want to pray tonight.